Have we got all the juice out of Ephesians chapter 6 yet? Not even close. Not even close. So if you're just joining us, uh, we have been in a series for a number of weeks now on uh, that we're calling Dressed for Battle. Uh, It's a study on the armor of God. And at the Lord's instruction, we're keeping the focus, trying to, uh, as Paul did, linked to the subject of our prayer life. Uh, Paul said, uh, culminated this teaching on the armor of God in verse 18 by saying, praying always, praying always. And so, uh, praise God. So we're talking about the armor of God. Obviously, it's not literal, it's spiritual. It's spiritual equipment to do spiritual battle with spiritual enemies, amen, to obtain spiritual victories that show up in our lives. They sh- it shows up in our families over time, but it, all, it ought to show up in our city, and thank God, in our nation too. And uh, so praise God. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here together. We just so thank you for the holy word of God. It's a living thing. It's alive, and we give it uh, great attention and honor and regard. Father, I just pray as the minister that you would make me an able minister of the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in a wonderful, that that gift of the pastor would flow out on a high level to the people. God, I don't have it in my own strength. I'm not able enough. I'm not smart enough. But God, that gift, that anointing that you put in me is more than enough to meet every need that's here today, to answer every pressing question so that every a precious blood-bought saint in this place today could leave going, oh, I ate, I got fed, I got built up, I got what I needed, I'm so glad I came to church today. That's my aim. Lord, be glorified in all that's done and said. And I do, as we've already prayed in corporate prayer this morning, I thank you that you're anointing ears to hear and, and, and hearts to receive what you have for them today, that nothing would be lost, nothing would be missed. We thank you for it all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, uh, Amen. Well, you came back. Last week we kind of had a barn burner of a service. And uh, praise God, I was thrilled to hear and, you know, what God said. And, and uh, we're, t- we're taking it to heart, aren't we? We're taking it to heart. So uh, praise God. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, begin reading with me in verse 10. Paul said, By the Holy Ghost, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hallelujah. Let's just stop there. Keep your finger here and go over to the little book in the Old Testament of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And bear with me here. I want to pull this up uh, in a different translation. Joel chapter 2, my son Rex a few weeks ago was, had come across this and reminded me of this passage of Scripture we'll look at here. Oh, where are you? There you are. Joel chapter 2. Let me know when you found it. So 
So I'm just for time's sake going to jump right to my new living. You follow along with the Bible you have. In verse 9, Joel 2, 9, God says, Say to the nations far and wide, get ready for what? For war is what my, my Bible says. Oh, no, you know what? This is wrong chapter. That's Joel chapter 3. And yeah, you're like, Pastor, that's really good, but I don't see it. My little thing hit the, hit the wrong button. Okay, I see it. Joel 2, 1. You ready? I think we're all on the same page. You were right, but I was wrong. So the prophet Joel says, Sound the alarm in Jerusalem. Raise the battle cry on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. How many of you are starting to feel like that more and more? It, talking about the day of the Lord, is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Suddenly, like the dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. Fire burns in front of them. Flames follow after them. Ahead of them the land lies as beautiful as the Garden of Eden. Behind them is nothing but desolation. Not one thing escapes. They look like horses. They charge forward like war horses. Look at them as they leap along the mountains. Listen to the noise they make, like the rumbling of chariots, like the roar of fire sweeping across a field of stubble, or like a mighty army moving into battle. Fear grips all the people. Every face grows pale with terror. The attackers march like warriors and scale the city wall like soldiers. Everyone say like soldiers. Straight forward they march. I like this. Never breaking rank. They never jostle each other. Anybody have something else that's interesting? Instead of jostle one another, they never push one another. They're not stumbling over each other. That means they're in harmony. They're keeping pace. Right? You see those guys, you know, in some of those military armies in straight leg. Well, if one got too close to the other one, you're going to dun dun dun, and it's going to look pretty foolish pretty fast, right? But not here. They never jostle each other. Each moves in exactly the right position. They break through defenses without missing a step. They swarm over the city and run along its walls. They enter all the houses, climbing like thieves through the windows. The earth quakes as they advance. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars no longer shine. The Lord is at the head of the column. Hey, this is not a satanic army. The Lord is out front. He leads them with a shout. This is His mighty army, and they follow His orders. Isn't that good? The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Well, let's take note of a couple of things. Notice this imagery the prophet gives about God's people like an army made up of soldiers, fierce warriors. Each warrior has a place, and they know their place, and they're in it. They are in harmony with the other soldiers, not at war with, not gossiping against, not bucking up against 
the order of flow and authority. I like this. They don't break ranks. All right, everyone, next month we're going to have a work day. We're going to feed everybody. It's going to be great. We'll have some fellowship, but we're going to sweat. We're going to get some things done. And you could see the Christians breaking ranks. Oh, I can't come. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't do that. No, sorry. I love church, but I am not coming to work. Breaking ranks. Amen. No, God wants us in a tight-knit, tight-knit formation, knowing our place, following orders, listening for His command. Not pushing around, doing our part, never breaking ranks, marching steadily forward. Never in retreat, never going back, never hiding in a hole. Come on. Does this scare you, intimidate you? you know, I'm just, I just thought I was going to be nice, sweet Christian and bake brownies. Be sweet, bake brownies. Amen. But there is a war to be fought. There is an enemy to engage. Amen. The world is in. It's the whole thing is setting the stage for the big battle, the final battle. Amen. Between good and evil. Between the Lord and Satan. And you better pick a side. Put on a uniform. Get yourself in basic training. Graduate and get to work for God while you have time. Amen. Don't go AWOL on the Lord. You could go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Amen. And of course, this is not, we're not talking lest someone out there on live streams thinking, oh, they're planning. No, I'm, we're talking about spiritual things. Right? We're talking about picking up spiritual armament and carrying around and employing our spiritual weapons. Paul said to the Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not natural, but they are mighty. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Glory to God. And so Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on a piece or two. Put on the whole armor of God. So that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil. Amen. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't have time to go there, but this is more real and serious than you know or appreciate. Uh, in your own time, you could go uh, for a vivid example. Look at uh, Daniel chapter 10. And in Daniel chapter 10, you'll find the prophet Daniel. He's working, uh, he's, a, he's a slave in a pagan land, but he's been elevated and promoted, and he's been working for several administrations. And, uh, but he gets to reading the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's prophecy, and he sees in there that their captivity was only supposed to last 70 years, and they had come to the end of that. And so Daniel, he doesn't get a picket sign and go violently protest and anything like that. He takes his petition to the Lord. God had said at the end of 70 years, I will restore you back into your own land. I will bless you once again. But nothing was happening. This is what we have to understand. Just because you read about something in the Word and you look at it in your life and say, healing isn't happening. Restoration isn't happening. Financial prosperity isn't happening. A sound mind isn't happening. A good marriage isn't happening. Well, God made it available, but you've got to possess the land. Amen. 
You've got to do something about it. And the first thing, when Daniel saw the word of the Lord, he took those words to God in prayer. He began to make his petition and remind God in prayer of what God said. And when he did that, the the writer of Daniel opens up and lets you see what's going on in the spirit realm. And above them in the heavenlies, a war breaks out. As soon as Daniel prays and makes his petition to God, God sent the archangel Gabriel to go to Daniel with his answer. But Daniel, as he went, was immediately opposed in the spirit realm by the prince of Persia, which is a demonic entity residing in the heavenlies. And there was an engagement. There was a battle. Now, Daniel didn't know it. He couldn't see it. To him, it just looked like, I'm praying, but nothing's happening. I've asked God for something, but I'm not getting my answer. On the 21st day, 20 days from when Daniel first started praying, Gabriel is able to break through and get to uh, Daniel. And he, he, he describes this war that he had to go through. And he said, I had to call for Michael, the warring angel, who came and brought reinforcements. And he is now today wrestling and contending with the prince of Persia. But here is why I have come. I have come for your words, Daniel. I have come because of your prayer. Your prayers and mine, we're going to stir up things. And it all won't be good, but it'll be great in the end if we just stay with it. Amen. See, when you go to praying, you're going to stir up opposition in the realm of the Spirit. We go to praying for our nation. Come on, Satan's going to want to oppose that. We're not moved by that, though. We're just going to stay with it. And if it looks like for a season our prayers aren't being answered, if it looks like for a season that nothing's happening, that nothing's changing, CNN's just doing the same old thing, same old news, same old mess, same old whatever, we just stay with it. We stay with it like Daniel stayed with it. We have enough faith and biblical knowledge and understanding to know there's a war going on. And I don't really have to do anything but just keep on keeping on. Those angels in God's activity in the Spirit... He will take care of it if I just won't quit. When Gabriel finally got there, he said, Daniel, I'm come because of your words. Not because God God was responding. It only happened because you were praying. And there are things God wants to do, and things can be changed spiritually in the atmosphere of our nation, our world, our city, our community, your family. Your job is to bring that before the Lord, to come before Him dressed for battle. Amen. Woo! Glory to God. Amen. Are you with me? That is our job. That is our responsibility. I'd love to see us in the Spirit tonight. Now, again, I'm traveling. I'll be praying with you on the road. Our prayer team's all set. But that we come in in the Spirit marching in ranks. And the devil quakes before us as we come to get on our knees and to seek God. He's scared of that. That's why he's going to remind you this afternoon of how tired you are and remind you of all that you got to do. Distract you. Clouds and deception and little sparkly thing over here. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Anything to keep you from praying with your brothers and sisters. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so Daniel's, uh, the angel says to Daniel, Gabriel says, now Gabriel says, Now listen, you understand, I was sent. I was dispatched the very first day. The reason I'm late to you is because I had to contend with this prince of Persia. 
And he says, I'm here to give you this message. But when I leave, I'm going to go back and contend with you. So this is an ongoing battle that we face in the spirit. That's why Paul said we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to that. We, we talked about how to deal with flesh and blood. You don't deal with that person. You deal with the spirit behind it. Amen. But we've got to move forward here. So now he goes, we're back in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, he said, um, take unto you the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Three times in just a few phrases, we see the word stand. Stand, stand, stand. Christian, you have got to develop your ability to stand. It doesn't feel very... Stand. I know you prayed for me, Pastor, but I feel worse. Stand. Somebody said a cuss word at the office, Pastor. I think I should quit my job. Oh, get over yourself. Stand. Stand in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation and be right. When they're wrong, you be right. When they're walking in darkness, you shine bright. Amen. They didn't talk very nice to me. They beat Paul with rods. Come on. Buck up. Sometimes you've got to just stand. You've got to stand in faith. You've got to stand when things don't look like you want them to look. They don't feel like you, right? Is there any fight in you left? We're in the spirit. Are we, are we taking you off to the triage? You know, that's fine. God's got a triage place. Amen. A lot of Christians, you know, living in triage. Amen. Get healed. Get whole. Let go of your offenses and hurts and insecurities. and Get back in your spot. Somebody's having to cover that, that spot on the line that you're not there doing. Hallelujah. So he said, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Week before last I talked to you about that and I just wasn't done. Talking to you about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate uh, obviously covers the torso. And it is a defensive covering, amen, for the most vital part, some of the most vital parts of your being. So that you don't get, get a punctured lung. You don't have your, your bowels, you know, exposed. Your intestines gushing out because of a swipe of the enemy's sword. That your heart is protected. And so righteousness, with the heart being the spirit, righteousness is a covering, a defensive protection and shield and covering for your spirit man. Amen. And when you're engaging in the battle and, you know, the, one of the demonic archers launches an arrow at you and it, you know, it, it, it gets through and it, it ought to just hit that shield, that, that, uh, that armor, that breastplate of righteousness, just bounce off of you like a Nerf dart. No harm done. We shouldn't be breaking down with insecurities. Someone insulted me. Someone said something bad about me. Someone posted something unflattering on Instacrap, you know. 
That's what that is. And people melt. Put on your breastplate of righteousness. And so we want to talk a little bit more about the breastplate of righteousness. Praise God. Go over to Romans chapter 5. Oh, hallelujah. Romans chapter 5. And um, just to, if you want a concentrated uh, dose of strength in the area of righteousness, just, just read several times this week or several times a day for a week. Romans 3, 4, 5. 3, 4, 5. And you will get a teaching. You will get instruction on God's plan of redemption, who you are in Christ, and what it means to be declared right with God. You know, uh, what it means to be the righteousness of God, what that means is, is that you have right standing with the Father, and it's based on legal grounds. It's not just an affectionate thing. It's not an emotional connection you have just between you and God. It is something that would stand up in the highest court. You have right stand. Now, we all were wrong with God because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there is nothing you could ever do in a lifetime, in a thousand lifetimes of good works to earn what you gave up when you sinned against Him. No way, not in a million lifetimes. You could never be right enough for God to legally say, come into my presence. And so people who are not yet born again, they have no approach to God. They have no legal approach to Him. Because, according to John chapter 8, they are children of the devil. They are citizens of a dark kingdom. Many of them don't know that. But Adam, our first you know, dad, sold all of the human race. You can read it right here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It tells you that in one verse. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So I, I had a, another discussion with one of my children this week. I always love having this conversation. And I said... Uh, I said, Ryan, do good people go to hell? She said, no, Dad. No. I said, well, do bad people go to heaven? Oh, no. No, no. And so we got to just rehearse that with her again. Amen. And maybe you're wondering how you would answer if I asked you, Sybil, do good people go to hell? Do bad people go to heaven? Yeah. God isn't, He doesn't have a scorebook and say, well, if you cross this threshold, you get to come. But if you forget to make that last pan of brownies and take it to the nursing home, you're out. I mean, there is no amount of obeying the speed limit, being a good person. That is not the basis of which, on which that God decides who goes to heaven who goes to hell? You do understand that. Hell is chalked full today of what the world calls really good people. And you're going to get to heaven and you're going to go, no way. That guy made it. 
I remember what He did on the earth. Heaven is packed full of what the earth calls scum and sinners and unrighteous and bad people. If I make it, and I will, I'll be one of them. Amen. What the world would have called a bad person. I know some of you are looking at me different. All of humanity is under the weight of sin, death, hell, and the curse because of Adam's sin. You know we're all in Adam. My my wife, she's doing Ancestry.com as fast as she can, but she has not proven yet that all the way back to Adam. But yeah, all of us, all of us came from one couple. Oh, yes, that's right, white person. You have black blood in you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You got the Asian blood in you. You got the Indian blood in you. That's why racism is the dumbest thing you ever heard. It's the dumbest thing you ever heard. And those of you with that beautiful chocolate skin, you got my white blood in you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Just go read Acts chapter 17. It's not my opinion. From one blood have we all come. From one blood. And in that one blood, when Adam sinned, contained a disease, a spiritual disease called the sin nature. We were all born into this world sinners. We had a sin nature that rose up in us as we got older. And we knew the difference between right and wrong. And that sin nature in us compelled us to do what Adam did. To to choose wrong. And the moment we did that, we're counted as a sinner in God's eyes. That's why you have to be born again. You can bake all the cookies you want. And be a member of every civic club you want. Come to church, pray five hours. I believe in going to church, but that doesn't make you a Christian. Me going up to the barn doesn't make me a horse. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You being baptized in water because the preacher said you should doesn't make you a Christian. You saying I talk to God doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus told a very religious, very spiritual, very moral man named Nicodemus, He said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You're not going unless you get born again. He goes, huh? What's that mean? Jesus said, you, he goes, man, y'all are in a bad way. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? What is Paul saying? Death passed on all men. Spiritual death passed to all of us. And the only way to go to heaven is to get rid of the sin nature. I used to get mad because the dog barked. Right? Get mad because the kitty meows. Get mad because the donkey brays. Get mad because the rooster crows, or whatever you call it. I mean, every morning they're out there behind my house. Wake up, Chris. Let me out. Let me out. How come the dog doesn't crow in the morning? That's not his nature. Why do sinners sin? Because it's their nature. That's why God can, He's not mad at the sinner today. They can't help it. They have a disease that they got 
from Adam, their first parents. And if they physically die with that spiritually sin-dead disease, they will be eternally dead. There's three kinds of death in the Bible. There is spiritual death. What that means is you are walking around alive, but you are separated from God. You have no approach to God. You've got no standing with God. You are not His son. You are not His daughter. You you have no approach. You are lost. You are separated from God. That's called spiritual death. You're under Satan's dominion. You're under the curse. And that includes poverty and torment, fear and all of that stuff. That's spiritual death. Then, of course, there's physical death. When the heart stops beating and the brain flow and the blood stops, your spirit and soul are going to leap out of your body. Your body, going to, if it's not already lying down, it's going to fall down in a heap, and that's called physical death. Well, then, here's how you get to the third type of death, which is called eternal death. Eternal death. And that's one plus one equals eternal death. If you physically die while being spiritually dead, you are now eternally dead. And your works have nothing to do with that equation. Nothing. Nothing. You need to understand that. Nothing. To physically die while being spiritually dead, you will be eternally dead. Because now you're without a body. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You didn't die a member of his family. And so you've got to go to the place you chose to be in a place where God isn't. And that's why hell is dark, because God is light. That's why hell is a place of torment, because God is peace. Hell is what sinners wanted, not what God chose. So, where could we find a, where could we find a substitute? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, Maurice. The wages of sin is death. Someone sins, you don't write names on the board to fix that. There is no time out. When you sin, the price is your life. Well, do you want to pay that debt? Many do. Costs them their soul forever. But Jesus so loved the world, see? He said, well, I'm going to be the propitiation. I'm going to be this. This is the gospel. This is the God. This is what we're supposed to be telling people. This is the, right? We're not supposed to be out telling, you know, telling that guy at the office, straighten up. He can't. That's like saying, dog, stop barking. You might as well kill him because he can't. He's programmed to do it. You have to tell him the good news. That the debt you owed... Jesus paid because he came and he bypassed Adam's seed. He's not a, he's not a son of Adam biologically. That's why you've got to believe in the virgin birth, my friend. Why was the virgin birth necessary? So that Jesus, born of Mary, would not have the sin disease that all of us got by being a member of Adam's family. The Holy One, the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary's womb, a virgin, and He put the seed in her egg, and now you've got a God un, a man and a God-man untainted by the sin disease. Jesus, when He was born and being carried around, yeah, He's a man, but He does not have the sin nature. First one, only one. He doesn't have the sin disease in Him. And as long as He could get to the cross without sinning, because then He would have His own debt to pay. 
As long as he could get to the cross without messing up and living a holy life and perfect life, amen, which he did, and get up on that cross, (laughs) then God can legally say when we take Jesus as our substitute, God is legally and justly able to say, praise God, Karen, your debt is paid. You didn't pay it, but someone paid it for you. Praise God. And so I declare you innocent. I declare you righteous. You are justified in my sight. You are now my daughter. And by the way, I'm going to put my spirit in you, my life in you, the very part of me. that. And now when I look on the inside of you, you are my child, no longer a child of the devil. And because I see that, when you physically die, you're going to come to be with me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And you can have a lifetime full of wicked works on your books, but if you on your dying bed say, Oh, Jesus, I believe I take Jesus as my Lord. I am sorry for everything I did. I am sorry for the murders I committed. I'm sorry for the abortions I had. I'm sorry for all the lies I told. You don't even have to say all that. You just say, I repent and I need Jesus. Jesus, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. And there's going to be people that made dying declarations under their breath. The preacher at their funeral said, this one surely is burning in the flames of hell right now. But no, they're wearing a robe of righteousness because God is merciful. Hallelujah. And unfortunately, there will be many that do burn in the files of hell for all eternity because they decided to trust in their own self-righteousness. I'm a good person. I don't do that kind of stuff. I pray three times a day. I give offerings to the poor. I obey the speed limit. Well, good for you. That's not going to get you there. You've still got the sin nature on the inside of you. You're still the seed of Adam. What are you going to do about that? You have to be born again. Hallelujah. Look at verse 17, Romans chapter 5. Trying to get there. Glory to God. Again, read 3, 4, 5 over and over until you get it. Verse 17, Paul says, For if by one man's offense death reigned. Who's the one man's offense? Adam's sin. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance. It doesn't say those who work really hard. It says those who receive the abundance of unmerited, unearned favor from God and the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness, what shall they do? Come on, they shall reign. What's he mean? He means like other translations will say it, reign like a king. Does it say in eternity? No, in life, this life. Praise God. Are you wearing your your breastplate of righteousness today? Are you armed with the shield of righteousness on the left hand and on the right, like Paul said in Romans? Hallelujah. In a great, couldn't earn it, don't have to try. One of the biggest things Christians need to hear today about receiving the blessings of God is to stop struggling to get something that grace already gave you. Stop struggling to get healed and just take your place as the healed in Christ. Stop struggling to be right with the Father. He made you right with Himself through the sacrifice of His Son. Stop striving 
to be what God's grace, amen, and the gift of Jesus' sacrifice has already made you. You're already a victor over the devil. You're already a son. You're already a daughter. Listen, you're already accepted. Your past is gone. It is worthy only to be forgotten. Satan's not in charge over your life anymore unless you let him. Unless you let him through ignorance, through not knowing, through sitting in a dead church all your life who doesn't tell you this stuff. Or unless you just are lazy. You want God to do everything for you. I mean, he's already done the heavy lifting. Getting you, getting you, getting that price paid, that was heavy lifting. That was heavy lifting. You know, Satan's watching when, when Mary gives birth to, to Jesus, and, and he'd already had Herod stirred up to kill all the babies in the land. And you know, I mean, every day, every day, every day, Satan is trying to trip him up. Sin one time. Say one wrong word. Disrespect his parents just one time. Embrace one lustful thought. Just one. Just one in all humanity is doomed for eternity. Because Jesus would then be unqualified to go to the cross. 33 and one half years, he lived in perfection. You can't go an hour. Some of you, God bless you. Right? How about not sinning with your mouth? How long can you go before you gripe? Before you gossip? Before you complain? I'm in there too. But I'm just, I want to give you the picture of what Jesus had to accomplish to get to the cross. He did the heavy lifting. His precious soul descended down into the pit to suffer there for three days and nights on your behalf. And God reached down with His mighty arm and said, Justice is done and raised up Jesus from the dead. Glory to God. No one had ever gone to hell and got out before. Jesus said one of the greatest, maybe the greatest declaration of the Son's faith in His Father. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. He knew where He was headed for a few days. We're going to do something no one's ever done before. We're going to go to hell and live to tell about it. I know a lot of people don't believe that Jesus went to hell, but if he didn't, you're going. And Jesus wasn't just being emotional on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That wasn't a lie. That wasn't Jesus being emotional. God turned his back on his son, and it pleased him, according to Isaiah 53, to pour the fullness of his wrath, all of his anger, all of his judgment, all of that punishment, every sickness, every disease, every tormenting thought, poverty into his son as punishment for what you did and for what I did. Jesus paid the price for the sins of the whole world in one moment. All you have to do is receive it. That's all you have to do. And there is nothing that you've done that's so bad that you... It's just nothing. I mean, if you end up in hell, you deserve it. Because of what He did. Thank God our eternity is set. Friend, I'm trying to... Where am I? I haven't even got started. Where am I going to stop? But... We're going to. Hallelujah. But in this life, we must take our place. 
you may not feel like the righteousness of God, but you are. You are because the Bible just declares it as a Bible fact. In the high court of heaven, in the eyes of Jesus, there is nothing against you. Go to Romans chapter 8 real quick. Let's at least touch on something I've been trying to get to for two services. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now. I like the next, those two words. Now, no. There is therefore now. Paul and the Spirit on Paul put a time on it. Now. Everyone say now. Now, now there is no. I actually looked up the word no. And it means none, none, not even a little. Come on, isn't that good news? There is none. Therefore, now, right where you sit today, as a Christian, you've given your life to Him. There is not even a little bit of condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Come on. And yet the devil's bewitched us. The devil's tricked us because he's called the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses the believer against themselves, to themselves, day and night, day and night, day and night, day and night. He doesn't want you to like you. He doesn't want you to think good about you. He wants you to live condemned. You get light on the gospel. You get light on what was accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You will begin to throw off condemnation like you should. You're not supposed to have any now, tomorrow, next week, ever. No condemnation. The word condemnation or condemned means to be judged as guilty with an expectation of coming punishment. You shouldn't have any of that. You're not guilty. But I did it, Pastor. I know you did, sweetie, and Jesus paid the full price for it. So just get over your good self and worship Him. Give yourself to the one who did that for you. But you don't know how bad I messed up. He does, and He loved you anyway. He died for you anyway. And the price for all your mess-ups has already been paid. Don't be proud of it. Don't be excited that you did it. But just get over your good self. We're all in this same boat together. None of us deserve what God has given. But He gave it. What are you going to do with it? Just receive it. You know, uh, you think about in our country, in certain states, there are condemned men and women. They have committed crimes in our land that are worthy of the death penalty. And they have been tried, and I'm assuming either by a judge trial or a, most of our, you know, 12 men and women of their peers has found them guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And, but does that mean they, they dive right in? Okay, take them out back and shoot them. I mean, that'd be cheaper, but... Unless you think I'm hard, anyway. No, I'm, I'm for all the appeals and all, all of that. So anyway, but here's my point. Sometimes that person, that person has the sentence of death on them. After the, ju- the guilty verdict comes down, they schedule another hearing called the sentencing hearing, right? In which their judgment is pronounced on them. 
but they might spend 10, 20 years in prison before that sentence is, is carried out. But we still call them a condemned man, a condemned woman. What do we mean? That means, yes, they're still alive, but they live every day in the knowledge and with the expectation that I'm getting closer to a moment where the sentence is going to be carried out. I'm a condemned person. Listen, that moment for you has passed forever. There is therefore now no none, zero, zilch, not even a little bit of condemnation. So if you're walking around day by day trying to be a good boy, trying to be a good girl, right? Amen. But you live under this black cloud, this shadow of the thought that I don't deserve anything, I'm guilty, I feel so bad, I made so many mistakes. And, and, and living in this expectation that nothing good is coming, but bad is coming. You need to renew your mind. You're not wearing the breastplate of righteousness and your life is being injured and damaged because you're not wearing it. One definition I found of the word uh, condemn or condemnation means to think ill of. And I met so many Christians. I was that person for a long time. I thought ill of myself. I didn't like myself. And I would just assume that everyone, every good person that I might meet eventually pretty quick, if I can't hide it, is going to find, what, find out what kind of worm I am and reject me, not want to be around me, you know? Because I was so aware of what I'd done wrong. That's living in condemnation. How about you? So, uh, the, here's some more definitions. Condemn means to disapprove of strongly. How do you think about yourself? Are you approved or not approved? How are you going to reflect the love of Jesus Christ to others if you don't even love yourself? You've got to take your place as... The loved of God. John writing about himself in the gospel, I love this. You may not have ever understood this, but in John's gospel, you keep reading this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loves. And you keep going, I'd sure like to know who he's talking about. Who is this guy that he keeps talking about, the disciple whom Jesus loves? He's talking about himself. I am. John is the disciple that Jesus loves. You should not disapprove of yourself. Now listen, I'm hard on myself when I need to be. When I make a mistake, I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to run to Jesus and confess my failure, confess my sin. But you know what happens? It says that He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Guess what? Back to righteous. You know. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So... The word also means to declare guilty. Satan would love for you as a, an acquitted person to still live as the guilty. It's like someone that the president or governor pardons, but they still live in the bars with the door unlocked. No, I just can't come out. Who does that? People may not like it, but when the president pardons, when the governor pardons, they're coming out. And so should you. 
The word means to inflict a penalty upon to doom. That's past in your life. Never again. You belong to the Lord now. Here was my favorite. It means to condemn means to declare unfit. And that's how a lot of people think, of, I can't come to prayer meeting. I can't be used to the Lord. I could never do that. They have declared themselves unfit. When God had declared them, He's already qualified them. He said, God, is, God has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light in whom we have, in whom we have our redemption. Not going to have it, we have it. Have our redemption. Even the forgiveness of sins. I don't have time to go there, but I about ran off my porch today reading Dr. Weiss' translation of Ephesians chapter 2. says, in Him we right now are living in a state of salvation. <laughs> Glory to God. Yeah. Salvation doesn't mean just going to heaven. It means to be delivered, to be healed, to have a sound mind, to be made prosperous. Right now, we are living in God's mind in a state of total salvation. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah. Let's close with this thought. Condemned Christians are difficult to train and impossible to correct. They're difficult. So as a pastor, it's very difficult to train someone who's living in condemnation because you can't say anything to them. <laughs> I know, Pastor. Please don't kick me out of the church, Pastor. I mean, you just say anything to them and you have just broken the little fragile dam of, you know, because they live condemned. You can't say anything to them. Amen. You know, the pace of your development is going to depend on how much correction can you take in a single dose. The bigger the dose of correction you can take in a moment, the faster God can move on someone to correct you, the faster you can get it turned around and live a different life. Amen. But there are some people, oh my God, you've got, got to walk on eggshells around then. And I'll just, have to, I'll just have to hold my peace. Because I can't speak that to you. We had a family member a long time ago, a, a church family, years and years ago. And uh, uh, the son in the family had wanted to uh, try out for the praise team. And, and uh, we needed a drummer. I mean, for years, we just believed God for a drummer. And, uh, and so we put this young man up there, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. But bless his heart, he just couldn't keep the beat. He just couldn't keep time. Now, how many of you know on a praise team, on, a, on, a drum, on the drum, in a, in a band or whatever... Not keeping the beat is kind of important for a drummer. You'd be able to one, don, 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 don. And we're not making fun, but he, Amber, worked with him, worked with him, worked with him, worked with him, worked with him. And finally just had to say, listen, we're going to have to sit you down. We just, we, this isn't working. Maybe just keep practicing and, you know, maybe you could maybe get that part of it turned around. Well, when she said that to him, the father walked up to me. I was, happened to be at church. It was an off day. I happened to be at the church doing something. He walked up to me in the back of the blue-windowed building. Hand, he was a department head, handed me his key and said, we're done, I'm out of here, we're leaving. His son, unless he's got it turned around, last I heard, you wouldn't? He's not right. 
No? Okay, I'm going to obey you. Praise God. The family's not together. The family is not right. It was like, it didn't take long. Like the devil was, a, he, he dropped an atomic bomb on that family. Because my wife said one sweet, truthful, corrective thing to their boy. Was it worth it? People do this kind of stuff in churches all the time. Can't tell me that. Take my volunteer position away from me. I gave it to you. In, in terms of stewardship, this is my house. I'm answerable to the Lord. I know it's the Lord's, but He gave it to me in trust. And all of us. But I'm answerable. I gave you that spot. And you ought to have no problem. If I, want to, if I see you as a strategic soldier in a chess piece, and I say, I need to get you out of this foxhole, and I need you to get you up on that bridge over there. Yes, sir. I'm going from the children's ministry to ushering. No problem. What do you care? If you care, you're not right. I'd like you to sit down off the praise team for a season. I'd really like to see you develop in your uh, word and your prayer life for a while. Oh, no way. I'm out of here. I'm going down Faith Center. Faith Center's a great church, but you're not, you know, he doesn't need your rebellion in his congregation. So, see, condemned Christians, they're very difficult to train. So if you want to be trainable, get over this condemnation thing. Renew your mind. Wear your breastplate of righteousness. Take your place in the family and be secure in it, knowing that we love you. And God's not after you, and I'm not either. Amen? Root yourself more deeply in the love of God. Here's another point real quick. Condemned Christians, they disqualify themselves from service. It's kind of the other extreme, right? Uh, no, I just can't. I just can't, sir. I just, you know, they don't see themselves as worthy enough. I, they, can't, they can't see God moving on them or gracing them or anointing them. And He wants to. Another thing about condemned Christians is that they accept measures of defeat and difficulty into their lives believing they deserve it. They don't fight the good fight of faith against sickness because they think they're being punished by God for what they did wrong. Maybe they they couldn't articulate that, but in the recesses of their heart, they don't fight sickness because they believe they deserve it. No, you deserved it, and it was poured out on the cross, and Jesus happened to be there in your place with your name badge on That's why Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. You know, there's no biblical record Paul was in Jerusalem when Jesus was on the cross. What does he mean, I was crucified with Christ? What he means is, is he was up there that day for me, and I was there on the cross, that old man. You know, crucified people die. He said, I'm crucified with it, and he's writing that letter, I'm crucified with Christ. Really? Nevertheless, I live. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. God who loved me and gave himself for me. One translation says that this new life I'm living is simply Jesus Christ using my body. Hallelujah. Don't accept any defeat in your life. All defeat was laid on Jesus at Calvary. All you should have, all you should be okay with is going from triumph to triumph, victory to victory. The Bible says, thank 
Christ Jesus our Lord, who always leads us in triumph, except on Thursday on the third month because we'll have a defeat because we deserve it. No! We go from glory to glory, victory from victory. Come on, this is the victory, not the defeat that overcomes the world. Our faith in what He did for us. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No more defeat. Praise God. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of that today? This is the essence of the gospel, what I've preached to you today. This is God's plan of redemption for every human being. Every human being. Their debt's already been paid. You know, when God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that the power of God raised Him and seated Him at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. And we get that, right? And it says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and over every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And He has given all things to be the head to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. What He's, what he's kind of veiling set there is that place that Jesus occupies over all, far above all these principalities and powers, demonic powers, people powers, all this kind of stuff has been shared to His body, the church. And it says all things are under His feet. Now if it's kind of a mystery to you, get over into chapter 2, and it says, not because of works, but because of grace, that we are saved by faith, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast that we too, He too has made us. Point at yourself. It's me. He has made me alive together with Christ and has made me to sit together with Him in heavenly... You're in the same seat. Amen. Can you imagine Jesus being defeated? No. Can you imagine Jesus being sick? No. You imagine Jesus coming up against a power and authority that he doesn't have the ability to deal with? You're not going to heaven, but in a lesser seat, in the nickel seats, in the grandstands of heaven, somewhere, somewhere on the backside. No, you're sitting in that same seat. You got the same name, same authority, same power, same Holy Ghost, same, come on, same blood, same word, same power behind you. <laughs> and you don't deserve any of it, and I don't either, but it's ours anyway. Woo, it's ours anyway. Glory to God. And it all came to us from a loving Father as a gift. As a gift. Wow, wow, wow. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today.